Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. We need you, Lord. We need you to open our hearts. We need you to teach us. We need you to reveal to us our Lord Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Uh, Genesis 47, starting verse 11. Joseph placed his father, his brethren, gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Joseph nourished his father, his brethren, all his house, father's household with bread according to their families. And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore. So the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money failed in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread. Why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, give your cattle, I'll give you for your cattle, if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle of the herds and for the asses, and he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year, and they said unto him, we will not hide it from my Lord, that how that our money is spent, my Lord also hath our herds a cattle, there is not left aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us in our land for bread, and we will in our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, the land be not desolate. Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them, so the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to cities from one end to the borders of Egypt, even unto the other thereof. Okay, so in our last study, you remember, and it's been a couple of weeks, so I don't know if you do remember, but if you do remember, <laughs> in verse 11, it says that Joseph placed his father and his brethren, and he gave them this possession, as it says there, in the land of Egypt, and it's described as the best of the land in Goshen. I mean, this was Joseph's goal from the very start. He wanted to get his father and his brothers in the best of the land, and in that verse, we're just told that he gave it to them for a possession. And what a scene that is for, for of his family coming into Egypt. They really came into Egypt with nothing. I mean, when they came, they were told specifically in Genesis 45, 20. Remember when we saw that, when it says that they were told also, regard not your stuff. Don't look, don't worry about your stuff that you've got back there in Canaan. But then he said, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours, is what he said. The best of the land was so much better than anything they had left there in Canaan, and they're just going to leave it behind. In other words, he was saying, forget about it. And just think of all the things that we think that we can't imagine to live without, like Amazon Prime, for example. But just as Joseph's family was told, just leave it all behind, leave it all behind. As a matter of fact, what's described for us 
on the other side is in 1 Corinthians 2.9, where it says, as it is written, I hasn't seen, I hath not seen, nor ear heard the thing, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for him. And then it says, prepared for them that love him prepared for them that love him. It's interesting that verse in 1 Corinthians 2.9 because it's actually taken from, it's quoting Isaiah 64.4. Isaiah 64.4 is where that verse is taken from. And it's that says, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him, that waiteth for him. So you see the difference. Because Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.9, it describes it for them that love him. But in Isaiah 64.4, it's describing it, it's for those that wait for him. And really, so that shows us that the activity of waiting for the Lord Jesus, for expecting him, for anticipating his, his coming or us going to be with him, all of that expectation, all of that waiting that's what it means to love him. And that's what makes it so precious this last week was we were all these remembrances of Billy Graham and one of his, his interviews, which uh, when he was all very weak and really wasn't speaking too well, and he says, I look forward to death with great anticipation. He said, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing God face to face. I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. And then he said, I really am. And he had that. You know, another time he said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it, he said. I'll be more alive then than I am now. I'm just going to the presence of God, and I just will change my address. <laughs> well, when Joseph's family was told that they should not regard their stuff, just leave it behind, the reason was, the reason was, they said in Genesis 45, 20, says, regard not your stuff, the good of all the land, he said, is yours, is yours. So the reason was that the good of all the land was theirs. That didn't just mean, well, you know, you, you can enjoy this good land here in Egypt. It means it was theirs. And that's the way it is with heaven. Heaven is not just a place for us to enjoy. The Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure he didn't say it is your father's good pleasure to let you into heaven. He didn't say it is your, it's father's good pleasure to let you enjoy heaven, to let you stay there. He says it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's an amazing thing. That's difficult for us to comprehend. It's difficult for us to comprehend the magnitude of the goodness and the generosity of God the Father. I mean, we'd expect him to say something like, okay, you finally made it. You, you sure caused enough trouble down there. You, know, you wore out a few angels in the process, you know. But, and, uh, you know, maybe you could just now just be seen and not heard. You know, it's like what they used to tell me when I was growing up. <laughs> they used to tell me, Tommy, kids are supposed to be seen and not heard, you know, anyway. And just don't cause any trouble here in heaven, you know, like you did on earth. But that's not what it's going to be at all. You know, it's going to be the statement like we saw in, in Genesis 45, 20, the good of all the land is yours. And so that's why it says in verse 11, Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. That's what amazing grace looks like. Now, you look again, and it says there that Joseph, in verse 11, placed his father and his brethren in the best of the land. And you just picture this scene. I mean, it's where... Joseph is bringing his father and his brothers into the best of the land of Egypt in Goshen, and it really comes home when it says he placed them in the best of the land. In other words, he put them in the place where it was designed that they could flourish 
as a family. Finally, after so long, this whole family is brought together again. This whole family is made complete again. And it just wasn't easy for this family to stay together. I mean, Judah almost uh, got lost in a very serious intermingling that ended up with children and so forth with the Canaanites. But you remember, God faithfully shamed him because of his daughter-in-law, and brought him back to the family. So finally, the last, the family's back together again, and Joseph is the one who is responsible for bringing them all together and putting them in this place. Now, you read these words in verse 11, where it says, Joseph placed his father and his brethren. And you think about this. Finally, the family is now all together again. You think of that. Now, what do you think at this point that Joseph naturally wanted to do at this point? What would be his first desire, his own personal first desire, after he put his family all together in this very ideal situation? What do you think it would be? Yeah, he wanted to be with them. I mean, the family is together. It's wonderful for the family to be together. Joseph is a part of the family. And so naturally, he wants to just settle in also. And that was natural. It's like Joseph has just set up all the all the chase lounges, you know, <laughs> for the family. And everybody's all comfortable there. And he's thinking to himself, where's my chase lounge? You know, where's mine? I mean, you know, J- Joseph's favorite person by far in all the world, was his father Jacob. I mean, they had this special relationship with the coat. And and so when the brothers came, you know, and he, they didn't know he was Joseph. He was thinking, okay, yeah, great to see you. But then he says in Genesis 43, 27, he asked them of their welfare and said, is your father well? It's also his father, but he didn't. The old man of whom you spake, is he yet alive? So Joseph especially wanted to be with his father. Naturally, he wants to stay in Joseph. I just want to stay in Joseph. He wants to stay in Goshen, in the best of the land. But that's not what we see Joseph doing, not at all. And that's what makes these words in verse 14 so powerful when it goes on and says, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in all the land of Egypt. He gathered up all the money that was in Egypt. You think that was a, like an easy job? No, it's a lot of work. It was a lot of work to go throughout all the land of Egypt and gather up all the money in the land, which brings us to the next question. Why didn't he stay there? Why didn't Joseph just stay with his family, enjoy the company that he'd been missing for so long in, in the best of the land there? And the reason, obviously, well, what is the reason? Why didn't he stay there? He had a duty to Pharaoh. That's it. He had a duty to Pharaoh. Joseph had a promise to keep. He had a promise to keep. And Joseph, his whole character, he's a promise keeper. That's who Joseph is. He made a promise to Pharaoh, and he's going to keep that promise. It took a lot of work, a lot of work, which meant he couldn't stay with his family. He promised Pharaoh that he was going to save Egypt from starvation. And, of course, you know, to see Joseph in the very position of being a ruler over Egypt, that was something. That was really something, and he wasn't just going to turn his back on that actually made Jacob very, very happy as well, you know, because then he could say, my son, the ruler, you know. (laughs) Most Jewish parents want to say, my son, the doctor, my son, the lawyer. But Jacob could say, my son, the ruler. As I told you last weekend, I met my friend's 
uh, son was getting married. And anyway, his wife, she had from a, her first husband died. So she, she had three sons. And uh, she talked so much in, before about her three sons who I'd never met before, you know. And, you know, this son was the terrific speaker. He was also a rabbi, but terrific speaker. And the other two sons were just, uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates, Galloway, whizzes and business, you know. It goes on and on. And I finally met him, you know, their three sons and the mother were standing there. And I said, you know, you know, your mother here talks about you like the fisherman talks about the fish. (laughs) I've seen this, right? Anyway, but the point is, is that Joseph promised Pharaoh that he's going to save Israel. And to keep that promise took a lot of work, a life work, as a matter of fact, was a life work for Joseph. And that meant that his whole lifetime, Joseph just could not stay where he wanted to with his family there in Goshen. It was a great sacrifice for Joseph, and Joseph made that sacrifice when he left them all and went back to work. I mean, can't you just see that? You know, as Joseph is getting all his family together in the lap of luxury, Joseph's talking to his brothers, now you look, you boys, you boys enjoy yourselves here in the best of the land. I got a lot of work to do that I'm going to do a bit. I made this promise to Pharaoh that I'm going to save Egypt and I got to keep my promise. So you boys enjoy yourself. I'm just sorry that I can't join you, but I got a lot of work to do. Now, when we picture and hone in on that scene of Joseph doing that, getting his family situated in the best of the land and then sacrificially leaving them to go back to work, that's a picture for us of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many of the saints have passed into heaven, like Billy Graham now, and the saints are in heaven. And just as Joseph wanted to stay with his family in the best of the land you know, of Egypt, so the Lord Jesus, well, yeah, we can imagine him wanting to stop working, just enjoy the company of the saints that are now in heaven, just like Joseph's family was in the best there of the land of Egypt. But just like Joseph, who sacrificially went back to work to keep his promise to Pharaoh, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done as he's gone back to work. You know, Joseph made a promise to Pharaoh to save Egypt, and the Lord Jesus Christ made a promise to God the Father to save all those that were given to him and he talked about that promise, and he said in, in John 6.39, John 6.39, when he said, this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all that he hath given me, that I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. See, so you think about that, you know, to, to not lose any believer, to raise up every believer at the last day, that's a promise, That's a promise that the Lord Jesus made to the Father. That takes a lot of work. Some of us more work than others. And that can't be done by just turning his back on the earth and just say, you know, I want to spend time with the people who have come to heaven now. I mean, that was a promise he made to the Father to not lose any. I'm not going to lose any. And and that's what he said in another verse in John 640, the next verse, John 640, John 640. This is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him or believeth into him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. So that's a promise again. It's another promise. He says that every person who has called on his name, who God the Father has revealed to that person who the Lord Jesus is, that the promise is that he says for every one of those, the Lord Jesus says, I'm going to give every one of those everlasting life. I promise to do it. And not only that, in other words, he's saying everyone who, who God the Father has revealed that Jesus is the Messiah and God, he's saying, you know, he says, I'm going to step right in and I'm going to give him everlasting life. And not only that, I'm going to raise him up at the last day. 
I'm gonna raise him, the Lord Jesus says, I'm gonna raise him up at the last day. That's a promise that he made to the Father. It takes a lot of work, and it can't be done by turning his back on, on all and saying, you know, I just wanna spend time with the people who are in heaven now. So the Lord Jesus spoke of every believer as a gift from the Father, and he said they're gonna come to him, and he's gonna receive every single one of them. He said that in John 6, 37, John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Again, he's on the lookout. He's on the lookout for everyone that's ready to receive him, and he says, I'm not gonna cast him out. That's a promise that he made. It takes a lot of work. So that's a picture that we're looking at here with Joseph, because he's turning his back from Goshen now to go do the work of, of, of ruling and taking care of Egypt to save Egypt from starvation. I mean, just think of it. For the rest of his life, for the rest of Joseph's life, he is going to put on a self-denial of living down there in Goshen with his family. And because he, he for the rest of his life, he's going to do the work of the rulership in Egypt. He's not going to retire with his family. That's Joseph. That he was always conscious. It was a, that's Joseph. He was always very conscious of the work that was committed to him, of the promise that he made. He was a promise keeper. That's Joseph. That's part of who he is. Because Joseph really wanted, with all of his heart, to be able to finally report to Pharaoh, I accomplished the mission. That's what he wanted to say to to Pharaoh. I did it. So the Lord Jesus always wanted to tell God the Father that he had accomplished the mission. And that's what he finally did in John 17, John 17, 12. John 17, 12, the Lord Jesus said to God the Father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me have I kept. None of them is lost, save the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So all this keeping of the believers that God the Father had given to the Lord Jesus, that took a lot of work. A lot of work. It's a big promise. And just as we see Joseph here, he's going out all throughout the land of Egypt there, and he, and now he's going to be buying all, he's taking up, he's gathering all the money, and then he's going to be buying all the cattle, and he's going to buy all the lands and the persons, and then he's going to, he's going to feed them all, feed the cattle too, and he's going to redistribute all the people, and that's a lot of work. That's a life work, and that's what he did. So we see in Scripture all the work that the Lord Jesus is doing now when we read in Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25 is just a, a verse about work when it says, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. It's a lot of work. You know, ever liveth to make intercession for them. It's a lot of work. He's monitoring every aspect of our lives. And that means he sees the trouble before we see the trouble. That's a good thing. But he sees the trouble way in front of us. And having foreseen the trouble that we don't see, he's already working. He's working hard, interceding. So what happened with Peter? Peter, he saw this great trouble that Peter didn't know anything about. Peter was sitting there saying, oh, everybody's going to deny you, not me. You know, but he said, oh, whoa, whoa, if you could only see what's in front of you. He said in, in Luke twenty two thirty one. Luke twenty two thirty one. the Lord said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So the Lord's referring there to Peter's denial of the Lord in that terrible period in, in Peter's life. And it, it wasn't just 
Peter being in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, and they died to the Lord. That was carefully being orchestrated by Satan, you know, which damsel was going to be where at what time, you know, which fire pit he was going to, Peter was going to be, all very carefully orchestrated by Satan, desiring to get Peter to deny the Lord, sift him as wheat, as the Lord said. And the only reason that he came through, Peter came through and repented in those trials was because of the hard work of the Lord when he says in Luke twenty two thirty two, Luke twenty two thirty two, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. It's a lot of work. Prayer is a lot of hard work. And if we doubt that, we just have to remember in Exodus, that whole history in Exodus 17 with the battle of Israel and Amalek in Exodus 17, and you can see all the hard work that prayer is when it says in Exodus 17, 10, Exodus 17, 10, Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, Hur went up to the top of the mountain and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the same. So that was quite a scene there. I mean, there's Israel down there in the valley, and they're fighting this, fighting to death, this war with Amalek, and Moses and Aaron and Hur are up there on the top of the hill. They're overlooking the battle down below, and Moses holds out his hands. How long can you hold your hands out? I can't hold out my hands out that long, but anyway. And hold out his hands like that, and, and which was symbolic of prayer. And when he does that, they look and they say, hey, keep your hands held out there. Israel's winning now. It was, you know, was the word that came back. And, you know, Moses says, okay, how long is that battle going to last? Is it over yet, guys? No, not yet. Keep them up there, you know. And finally, you know, Moses says, oh, I can't do this. Anymore. Oh, no, don't do that. Amalek's winning. Oh, okay, you know. Anyway, so it just showed, and then they finally, you know, said, we got to do something for him. You know, Moses, you know, got to have a place for him to sit down, which would be the first thing that I would ask for, you know. But anyway, and then after that, you know, hold up his hand, see. And all of that is very symbolic of prayer, that prayer is hard work. It's tough job. Yeah, you could do it in the beginning. That's fine, you know. But to keep it up, that's hard work. So when it says that the Lord Jesus is ever living to make intercession for us, that means he's ever working to make intercession for us. That's a lot of hard work. But the Lord Jesus is also a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. Joseph in this chapter is a promise keeper. So we see this. Now, that's a challenge for us when we see all this keeping a promise and a lot of work, you know, that we should be promise keepers also, like the hymn says, we sing sometime, oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if thou be by my side, nor wander from the pathway if thou wilt be my guide. Now, there's going to be a price. There's a price to pay for being a promise keeper, just as it was for Joseph. The price was he couldn't be with his family down there. I remember some time ago, I was a Sunday, and I went outside, and I was seeing how beautiful this particular Sunday was, which a lot of them are, you know. <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, it'd be nice to just be out here all day. And, you know, I love to go through that magic moment when the day, you know, kind of gets to dusk, and then it gets dark. That's really nice. And I was thinking to myself, no, but I got a lot of work to do. I got to go teach all these people in Sunday school. You know, and then, and then Sunday evening. But, you know, Joseph is an encouragement because as far as Joseph was concerned, as far as all of us concerned, there's a rest coming. There's a rest coming. And it tells us that in Hebrews 4.9. Hebrews 4.9 says, there remaineth 
a rest to the people of God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 